KMUW's podcast platform is made possible by High Touch Technologies, a software, technology, and business communications company that provides products, services, and support to all industries. High Touch brings the human touch to technology with a world-class team of industry experts. Learn more at hightouchtechnologies.com. I'm Josh Carey. And I'm Chef Tom Jackson. And you're listening to Cooking with Fire. Today we're going to be making another fantastic chicken wing recipe, this time with a sticky bourbon glaze. Let's get started. This is Cooking with Fire, a global exploration of barbecue from KMUW. Welcome to episode 72 of Cooking with Fire. Today we're going to dive into the world of bourbon and the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. But to understand the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897, you need to understand what whiskey distilling looked like in the mid to late 1800s. In order to turn a product quickly and make as much money as possible, distillers were selling whiskeys that were flavored and colored with iodine and tobacco. These products were otherwise made up of unaged or very lightly aged grain alcohol that wasn't held to any standard. And depending on the amount of iodine and tobacco in the whiskey, these products were making people ill and according to a few anecdotal accounts causing blindness and even death. In response to these cheap imitation bourbons, Colonel Edmund Haynes Taylor Jr., better known as Colonel E.H. Taylor, led a small group of whiskey distillers and joined up with John G. Carlyle, the Secretary of the Treasury, to call for the Bottled and Bond Act. Colonel Taylor was the creator of Old Taylor Bourbon. He held his own product in high regard and believed others should as well. The main problem, of course, was that there was no legal precedent that set forth what could or could not be labeled as bourbon. So he fought for a series of rules that would be ratified in the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. The Bottled and Bond Act is relatively simple, and it allowed for consumers to know that the product they were buying was safe to drink, and actually was what the label said it was. In this case, bourbon. But first, what are the rules of bourbon? Like most whiskey, bourbon has a series of rules that determine its labeling. First, it must be made in the United States, which is counter to the myth that bourbon must be made in the state of Kentucky. The mash bill must contain at least 51% corn, and the rest typically made up of a mix mixture of rye and malted barley or wheat and malted barley with a few mash bills using other cereal grains for flavor. The bourbon must be aged in new charred oak barrels. It cannot be distilled at higher than 160 proof and it cannot be barreled at higher than 125 proof. It must then be bottled at 80 proof or higher. Unlike other whiskeys, there are no rules for how long a bourbon must be aged. As long as it enters a new charred barrel and follows the other rules, it can be dumped within seconds and labeled bourbon. To keep standards high, however, bourbon cannot be labeled straight bourbon until it has been aged for at least two years, and it must contain an age statement until it has been aged at least four years, at which time the distiller can forego an age on the bottle completely if they choose. But none of these rules were solidified until 1964 when both the House and Senate passed measures stating how bourbon must be made and that it was a distinct product of the United States. This gave bourbon distillers trade protections and made sure that other countries weren't going to start producing and selling cheap bourbon products that were then imported into the U.S. But back to the Bottled and Bond Act. Since bourbon did not have any strict guidelines and many products were of questionable quality, a set of rules needed to be enacted. To be labeled as Bottled and Bond or Bonded the whiskey must be a product of a single distillation season, which means either January through June or July through December. It must also be the product of a single master distiller in a single distillery. The whiskey must be aged in a federally bonded warehouse under U.S. government supervision for at least four years, and it must be bottled at 100 proof. 
Finally, the label must define where the product was distilled and where, if different, it was bottled. Of course, Bottled & Bond is not reserved for bourbon, with corn whiskey, brandy, and other spirits carrying the label as well. But the majority of bonded products are bourbon. So these days, a Bottled & Bond bourbon will follow these rules, plus the rules put forth by Congress in 1964. Now for a few tasting notes. Tom and I have a couple Bottled & Bond bourbons in front of us, so let's dive in. First up is one of my personal favorites, Evan Williams Bottled and Bond, sometimes called White Label, which in my opinion is one of the best values in bourbon. The first thing I get is a big cherry bomb on the nose, which is characteristic of bourbon distilled at Heaven Hill. You also get that nice caramel butterscotch note on the nose, as well as oak and a little cut grass. The palate is smooth, especially for 100 proof bourbon, with a lot of oak, baking spices, and caramel and vanilla lingering in the middle. The finish is pretty exceptional, especially given the product's retail cost of under $20, with a nice long finish of oak and baking spice just trailing off over time. This is a bourbon I always suggest people have around because it's great enough to be drank neat, but the cost is such that cooking with it or using it for cocktails isn't a problem. Also, a little tip, get a whiskey decanter and pour this bottle into it. Within a week, it will open up even more and the flavors will really shine while it smooths out. Next up is a new bottle on the market, Early Times Bottled in Bond. The nose is eerily similar, with a bit of cherry and other dark fruits, with oak and vanilla really being present as well. But once you take a drink, it is apparent that this is a totally different whiskey. It's a bit rougher around the edges, with an oaky bite and a little sawdust on the palate. This is complemented with hints of vanilla and green apple, and the finish just trails off without adding much more to the complexity of the pour. At $30, this bottle is worth trying out for yourself, but for the value, the Evan Williams Bottled and Bond is always going to be my choice. Now is the perfect time to cut out to Chef Tom in the ATBBQ.com teaching kitchen and get started on today's recipe. All right, for our firecracker chicken wings with bourbon barbecue sauce, there are really three main components to what we're doing today. We've got the wings themselves. We're gonna put together what we call our firecracker seasoning, and then we're gonna make a bourbon barbecue sauce from scratch. Now, these are all very simple things. They require a handful of ingredients, which is the only thing that's going to be intimidating about this, but it's all very simple stuff. So I've combined all of our ingredients here, our sugar, paprika, salt, black pepper. We've got chili powder, garlic powder, onion powder, and a little bit of cayenne for that firecracker pop. And I'm just putting it into a container with a lid, give it a good shake to get everything evenly distributed. And this is gonna have a really nice salty, sweet, with a little bit of heat flavor profile. Next, I'm gonna get to our chicken wings. These are again, very easy because we are going to leave these wings whole. Just a great presentation and I love how you've got a little handle from the wing tip there. So all we need to do to get these seasoned up is find a little bit of binder. Uh, I'm gonna use a spray duck fat just because I really like this stuff. But you could use oil, you could use mustard, you could use sriracha if you wanna add a little more heat to your firecracker wings. And then we're gonna just give these wings a good dusting of the firecracker seasoning. Give that just a minute to let that rub start to attach to the meat. And then we're gonna flip them over and season the other side. In the meantime, I'm gonna head over to the stove here because I've got a sauce pot sitting here where I've combined the ingredients for our bourbon barbecue sauce. Again, a very simple recipe. It's a ketchup-based sauce. Let me just fire up the burner. So we've got ketchup, we've got brown sugar, apple cider vinegar, a couple tablespoons of bourbon, a little bit of hot sauce to bring some heat, and then a handful of other seasonings, including smoked paprika for that nice smokiness, and of course that bright red color. We've also got some garlic and onion powder, and once again, a little bit of cayenne. So I'm just gonna bring all of this up to a simmer. And as it comes to a simmer, I just want to gently, I'm gonna turn the heat down low, 
gently let this simmer for about three to five minutes just to make sure that everything gets dissolved and all those flavors start to melt. We don't wanna over-reduce this because we could caramelize and eventually burn it. So we're gonna go nice and slow. And then when we hit about that three to five minute range, we can just shut this off and let it sit there. Now back to our chicken wings. I'm gonna get all of these flipped over and we'll start to season the other side. Now today we're gonna be cooking on charcoal. Charcoal's a great way for anyone that's looking to get into grilling and even smoking. Charcoal's a great place to start because something like a Weber kettle is a really affordable grill and it's a, it teaches you all kinds of great techniques that you need to learn when you're grilling and smoking. For example, today we're gonna be cooking over direct heat for the majority of this cook because chicken wings are small, they're thin, they cook pretty fast and we're looking to get some char on them. So direct heat means we're cooking directly over the hot coals, or if you were cooking on, say, a gas grill, you'd be directly over the flame. Now, you, sometimes you also really want to have an indirect cooking zone as well, and that means you're not directly over whatever that heat source is. There's some sort of barrier, whether it's just distance or a physical barrier. Like in a pellet grill, it's often a diffuser plate, or in a ceramic grill, they'll have some sort of diffuser plate. Now, that's for when you want to stop coloring the meat, but you want to continue to raise the internal temperature. All right, we've got these wings seasoned up. And like I said, we're gonna start with direct heat. So headed out to the grill here. The charcoal grill should be nice and hot. You want 500 plus degrees for this sort of high heat direct grilling. So once that rub has attached itself to the chicken wings, we're gonna throw those right on the grate over the charcoal. Start to hear a nice sizzle right away. Oh, and immediately you can smell the rub, that's awesome. We're gonna to start to raise the internal temperature of these as we get some nice browning on the outside. And speaking of that internal temperature, what we're going for today is about 170 degrees. That's right about where I like to land on chicken wings. Now, if we were talking about chicken breasts, we'd be about 10 to 15 degrees lower than that for our finishing temperature. But with the wings, the meat actually gets a little bit silkier as it starts to break down right around that 170 degree mark. So I'm gonna close the grill up now, put the lid on top, and just let it sit there and start grilling. We wanna be able to raise the internal temperature at the same time as the browning, so that's why we trap the heat in there rather than leaving the door open. All right, we're starting to get some really nice color on the wings. They've been in here for oh, about five to seven minutes, so I'm flipping the ones over that are nicely charred. If they still need a little color, then we'll let them stay for a little bit longer, but about two-thirds of them right now are looking pretty good. I mean, we're not looking to like blacken these or anything. Just get some nice grill marks on them. A little bit of char from that heat coming off the charcoal. And we'll flip them over so we can cook them from the other side as well. Nice even browning and even cooking. All right, well, I've given it another five minutes or so. And especially the smaller pieces are definitely starting to come up to temperature. Some of the larger ones aren't quite there yet. So we're just gonna kind of be working with the uh, digital thermometer, pulling these off as they come up to temp. All right, the last of the wings are coming off and they're going directly into a large metal mixing bowl. And that's because we're gonna sauce these right off the grill. So I've got my sauce here. We're gonna go over the top. Give these a good shake, make sure everything gets coated. And these are going right into the serving bowl, ready for the party. All right, I should know better than to eat one of these hot, but I gotta get a bite. Woo, oh yeah, that's got some kick to it, but a really nice sweetness as well. That does it for today's episode. Let us know if you cook this recipe and email us at cookingwithfirepodcast at gmail.com to let us know what else you'd like us to feature on the show. And as always, visit kmuw.org to get the full recipe for this week's cook. 
Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. This allows us to reach more listeners. And join us next time as Chef Tom cooks up a Canadian whiskey-infused poutine. <laughs>